How is the food and beverage industry doing at reducing emissions? And what does the result of Colombia's recent presidential election mean for its energy plans? Welcome to the Climate Recap from the Beckensphere Climate Corner, your go-to place for international and U.S.-based climate news. I'm Becky Hogue, a science writer. Today is Wednesday, June 22nd. Let's jump right into the news you need to start your day. Let's start with some climate studies. Transportation-associated emissions in the food system might have a higher climate impact than previously thought. A new study published in the journal Nature Food determined that transportation emissions, called food miles, account for a fifth of global food system emissions. This includes getting the food from where it was grown to where it's packaged and then to your local grocery store. It also accounts for transporting fertilizers, animal feed, and machinery to the farms. The study calculated that food miles account for about 3 billion tons of CO2 every year, which is about 3.5 to 7.5 times higher than previous estimates. And like with most other emission sources, wealthy nations are leading the cause of food miles. We only represent 12.5% of the world's population, but we are responsible for 52% of international food miles and 46% of associated emissions. The authors say that while eating locally can help reduce emissions, it's important to pair that with eating seasonal and eating less meat. On to another part of the food system. A new study by the Chicago-based consultant group Alex Partners found that food and beverage companies are on track to reduce emissions by only 29% by 2030 at best. The food and beverage industry is estimated to be responsible for a third of global annual emissions. The goal set out by them by the Paris Agreement and the Science-Based Targets Initiative is to reduce emissions by at least 38% by 2030. Basically, 38% is enough to keep warming below 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels. The study looked at carbon commitments made by 235 food and beverage companies across Europe, the Middle East, Africa, and the U.S., which includes the largest 13. The study also surveyed 200 executives focused on sustainability and operations. They found that companies often didn't account for indirect emissions, or Scope 3, which are made in the supply chain process, like a hot dog company not accounting for methane emissions produced by the cow. Time for some climate victories. The environmental reporting wing of Bloomberg, Bloomberg Green, announced Harold and Kumar's actor Call Penn will host a new weekly climate series for Bloomberg's Quick Takes platform. Called Getting Warmer with Call Penn, the show will focus on the intersection between climate change and business and finance, following Penn around as he talks to heads of businesses, initiatives, research, and communities about transitioning to clean energy and adapting to a warming world. The show will premiere in October. Bloomberg Green also announced a new podcast called Zero, which will be hosted by Bloomberg Green's senior reporter Akshat Rathi and the first Bloomberg Green Docs competition, which allows documentarians to compete for best film. The finalists and winner will have their docs screened in Los Angeles in October. Also in the private sector, the battery recycling company Redwoods Material announced it will be collaborating with Toyota on an electric vehicle battery closed-loop system. They're going to start with trying to recycle Toyota's hybrid batteries, which makes sense because, honestly, Toyota has not made much of an effort to switch its brand to EVs, so a hybrid battery is mainly what they have to work with. 
but creating a closed loop system for batteries is very important because of how polluting the mining process can be. Redwood was founded by Tesla's former battery chief. Over in Europe, five people ages 17 to 31 launched legal action in the European Court for Human Rights yesterday against the Energy Charter Treaty. This little-known treaty allows fossil fuel investors to sue foreign countries that try to stop projects in an effort to decarbonize. In the eyes of the law, foreign investors have a right to sue countries for any loss of profits. Each claimant has been personally impacted by an extreme weather event, and they argue that this treaty forces countries to choose the interests of fossil fuel stakeholders over their future. This could be the first time the court will have to weigh on this treaty. The claimants are also suing 12 countries that are home to investors who have actively used the charter, among those being the UK, France, and Germany. For example, German company RWE is suing the Netherlands for 1.2 billion pounds over plans to phase out coal, which is ironic because Germany is also planning to phase out coal. Speaking of which, I talked yesterday about how Germany is going to switch some of its gas demand to coal as Russia continues to drop its supply. Well, the German government is still insisting that it will drop coal by 2030 and that it is a temporary setback. Meanwhile, last-generation activists blocked several city highway exits in Berlin yesterday by gluing themselves to the ground to protest drilling in the North Sea. They argue that saving gas the country is already making is enough and there's no need to drill more. An international group of Extinction Rebellion activists glued themselves to the European Commission headquarters, which is also in Berlin. They're requesting the commission do more to stop environmental damage and criminalize ecocide. Ecocide is the deliberate and systematic destruction of ecosystems. Meanwhile, the Dutch government confirms that it still plans to close its biggest gas field in 2023 or 2024, despite this Russian gas problem. However, it is also allowing its coal-fired plants to start back up again to conserve gas use. Up until this point, the Netherlands was working to reduce its coal-fired energy generation by only letting coal plants work up to 35% capacity. Over in South America, Colombia has elected left-wing Gustavo Petro to be their next president. This is a huge win for the climate as Petro has already announced he plans to, quote, undertake a gradual de-escalation of economic dependence on oil and gas. What might be even more exciting is his choice of VP. Francesca Marquez is the nation's first black and second female vice president, and she is a Goldman Prize-winning environmental campaigner. The Goldman Award is like the Nobel Prize for environmentalism. She already posted a tweet with her holding a Colombian flag that says no more fracking. If Petro and Marquis keep their promises, Colombia could become the largest fossil fuel exporting country to fully phase down from fossil fuels. Overall, Colombia produces 1% of the world's oil, gas, and coal, so the bar is low. But for context, all seven countries in the Beyond Oil and Gas Alliance, or BOGA, which was established by Costa Rica and Denmark in COP26 in November, only account for 0.2% of the world's fossil fuel production. So 1% is still something to celebrate. This is also a big promise for Colombia because right now oil and gas exports provide the country's main source of foreign currency. You know how I said that the new VP Marquise is a Goldman Award recipient? 
Well, that brings us to a small update on another Goldman Award recipient, Nui Tai Khan, who was recently arrested in her home country of Vietnam. I talked about her arrest on Monday, if you missed this news, but now the U.S. government is calling on Vietnam to release her immediately. I don't know if this will do anything, but there's the update. Over the weekend, the U.S. Interior Department and Forest Service gave Utah's Bear Ears National Monument to five tribes to co-manage via a cooperative agreement. This is the first time a federal space has been given to multiple tribes at once. The tribes are the Hopi Tribe, the Navajo Tribe, the Ute Mountain Ute Tribe, the Pueblo of Zuni, and the Ute Indian Tribe of the Utah and Ore Reservation. Indigenous groups are much less likely to allow fossil fuel operations and destructive development occur on their lands. Let's finish off with some chemical news. Canada will ban the manufacturing and imports of six popular types of single-use plastics by December 2022, the sale of those items by December 2023, and the exporting of those items by 2025. This means no more plastic bags, single-use straws, or takeout containers, among many other items. The country will soon be one of the strictest in the world for plastic production. As a reminder, plastic is usually made from fossil fuels, it takes fossil fuels to produce, and it can merge with spilled oil to wreak havoc on wildlife. Canada has also vowed to ensure all plastic packaging must have at least 50% recycled material in it by 2030. And in the U.S., the Environmental Protection Agency announced drinking water limits for two types of PFAS, or forever chemicals, for the first time. These types are called PFBS and Gen X. Even in small amounts, forever chemicals can cause a host of health problems, including cancer and liver damage. They're found in everything from waterproof clothes to nonstick pans to flame retardants to fracking chemicals. The EPA will spend $1 billion from the Bipartisan Infrastructure Bill to help states and territories address PFAS contamination. And that was your climate news for Wednesday, June 22nd. If you like the work I do, please follow this podcast, give it a five-star rating, leave a review, and consider checking out the Becksphere Climate Corner YouTube channel. Remember to talk about the climate crisis every single day and to support your local news organizations. Bye for now.